Welcome back to Faith FM. You're listening to The Breakfast Show with Lyle and Mon. And we are up to our encounter with God. But hey, Lyle, guess what? The quiz is done. It is gone. It is finished. It is over. It is a cooked goose. Cooked vegan goose. Congratulations to Michael Richards, who has answered correctly. Via Instagram, no less. Yeah, someone yes. snapped it up on Instagram. Yes, so they had an extra clue there on Instagram and he got it quick as what, a flash. What, what, what was that extra clue? Uh, I used a rock for a pillow. Yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, very famous. Hey, Mon, have you ever used a rock for a pillow? I cannot say I have. Really? You've I, never done that? No, I mean, just as a joke, just sort of like lying on the ground and testing it out. To no, see no, 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 I've like, actually done that. I've slept on a rock. Are you serious? What is yeah, wrong yeah, with you, yeah, Lyle? No, 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 you go to the beach... Or, you know, somewhere like that and uh, you get one of those nice, round, smooth rocks and you just put it under the back of your head and lay on the sand and just drift off. Lyle. I have done that. I have done that. Are you serious? It works if you're laying on your back. Okay. You can't lay on your side. It's pretty hard on the ear. I'm just so dubious. that ear on, on a rock. I'm just so dubious that that, like... I'm the kind of person who can't sleep if I'm dead flat. Oh really? Yeah, no, I can't sleep dead flat. I struggle. To, I really uh-huh. struggle to sleep with that. With, if I'm, I, you know, I always find something to shove under my head. Okay, okay, I've slept like many times with just you know my computer bag under my head because I, I am a. Power, I've done that. I've I'm done a, that. I'm computer power, bag. I'm a power napper. Okay, and, yeah, a, and a yeah. computer bag can be just you know pretty hard at times. It's like not a lot of padding there. Yeah. Do you, do you know what, dear listeners? I have the most hilarious collection of fi- pictures on my phone. And I, I keep them in a folder called Lyle asleep in public places. <laughs> because I'm a power napper, right? <laughs> I'm a, a He's a power napper for reals. Yep. I, I've got a collection of pictures of him asleep like like one time at a lighthouse surrounded by people who were like sightseeing the lighthouse, like at the airport, in the middle of a conference, just you know <laughs> <laughs> you are a power napper, and yes. I actually, I should know why I'm so surprised that you can And, and, and at our rock. at our um, birthday party the other day I was Needing to take a power nap And Mon was like Just go outside Have your power nap And come back in It's much better than Having a power nap On the front pew of the church Yes that's right I was like Go sit in the car <laughs> Power nap in private When no one can see you drool And then come back in When you're done I have never drooled In a power nap How would you know I have never dro- I've never woken up With a wet spot anywhere But I do my, my jaw does drop open If I'm on a plane Okay, yeah, yeah. If I'm on the plane, my jaw, I wake up, my jaw is just like... Look, I reckon I could fall asleep on a rock if I was extremely tired, um, but those are very rare moments (coughs) Going to sleep is a choice. Yeah. Anyway, of course... You make a choice to go to sleep, it's like, gone. And the person who chose to go to sleep on a rock in the Bible was, of course, Jacob. That was the correct answer. He blessed Pharaoh twice. I didn't even know he he did that. How did he bless Pharaoh twice? Uh, He just did. Why not? I don't know. Seems like a weird thing to do. They always seem to be at odds no, with Pharaoh. No, he was Pharaoh. good mates with Pharaoh. But, I mean, Pharaoh always seemed to be at odds with... with no, this was an awesome Pharaoh. Like there this was, was a really, good Pharaoh? really good Pharaoh. I've forgotten his name. I'll have to go and look it up again. Was it Pharaoh? <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. No, it wasn't, it wasn't Pharaoh. That was his title. Pharaoh is Egyptian for king. Oh, okay. So just a random old king. All right, well, we are in the Book of Acts. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're are we still looking at Peter? Or are we back to Paul? No, no, now? no, no. We're still in Peter. We're still still not. We're still with Peter. So let's go to the book of Acts, not the book of Peter. Uh, there's two of those, but let's go to the one book of Acts, and let's go to Acts chapter nine. Um, actually, let's go to Acts chapter ten. We finished Acts chapter nine, didn't we? Acts chapter ten. Mm-hmm. We were reading yesterday about the story of Cornelius. 
Now, Cornelius was a unique person at this point in the history of the Christian church in that he was not a Jew, he was not related to a Jew, he was not connected to a Jew, he was not married to a Jew. He was a 100% dyed-in-the-wool Italian Gentile. Mm-hmm. He was not circumcised, um, anything like this. He was not a Samaritan who were related to the Jews. Um, he was yeah, 100% Gentile. I wonder if he did that thing with his hands that Italians do when they talk. You know, when they pinch their oh, fingers sure together did. and wag their, wag their hands. I wonder if he talked like that when he preached. So much, Italians are like the best people on the planet. I know, right? It's so much fun. They, make, they have, they have <coughs> given us, they have blessed us with the best cuisine known to mankind. And they have so much energy. I just love the energy. Yeah. yeah they just have energy in the way they talk. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I won't try and take it off right now. Yeah. <laughs> I might embarrass myself <laughs> and offend all Italians. <laughs> okay, where are we up to? We, we finished, I think, uh, reading in verse 28. Isn't that so? Uh, yes, yes, yep. Yeah, just keep reading for us there. From uh, we, we read in verse 28, it says, uh, Peter said to them, You know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come into the house of another, someone of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man, M-A-N, not P-I-G, M-A-N, mm-hmm. common or unclean. Some people get confused over that and think, no, 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 um, God is talking about animals here and what you can eat and what you can't eat. No, he's not talking about animals in this parable. He's talking about humans. It's super in, not talking about animals. Yeah, like which, which, which interpretation do you want? The interpretation that God gives through Peter or the one that you make up yourself? Those are the two options you have. It seems like such an obvious obvious thing. I mean, all you have to do is keep <laughs> reading and you would have determined that. So I feel like they just use this as an excuse to do what they want to do, yeah, which yep. I feel is often the case with misinterpretations. They're more like, not so much a misinterpretation, but how can we bend this to fit what we want? And then they convince other people and then other people are all convinced of the wrong thing. That's pretty much how it goes. Anyway, we established that yesterday, so that's good to know this has nothing about food. It is all about people, M-A-N, humanity. All right, Mon, verse 29. 29 says... So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. Keep going. Cornelius replied, Four days ago I was praying in my house about this same time, three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in dazzling he, he clothes. Was, he was fasting and praying. He was fasting and yeah, praying. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. A man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messages to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying in the home of Peter, a, oh, sorry, staying in the home of Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. Okay, so Cornelius was obviously pretty um, determined to get some information here about you know what he was praying for. As it says in my translation, he was fasting and praying. He wasn't just praying. He was seriously, seriously praying. He's a Gentile. He is somebody who you know, does not have a connection to God's people, but he has obviously been impacted by the death of Jesus Christ and the gospel. He wants to know what's going on, doesn't he? Yeah. And uh, he does not, uh, you know, so I think sometimes we take the gospel very lightly. 
It's like, yeah, I read something nice in the Bible today. We get a warm fuzzy. Yeah, exactly. Then just move on. Yeah. Cornelius was not somebody to take things lightly, and it is a great example for all of us. You know, he found something he didn't understand, so he decides to fast and pray about it. You know, seriously, how often do we do this kind of thing? It's true. We we really ever seem to take these things seriously enough. I mean, who? When was the last time you heard of anyone who read something they didn't understand, or they received a message they didn't, and fasted and prayed in order to understand it? Yeah, indeed. Okay, so then let's continue on here with verse thirty-four. Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. All right, let's stop there for a moment. Why does Peter see this so clearly? Where, How did he come to this conclusion? It's, I mean... That God shows no favoritism between Jews and Gentiles. Did he make it up? No, because he just had a vision. <laughs> he just had a vision, he did. Yeah, he just had a vision. <laughs> so once again, he is clarifying exactly what this vision is all about, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. This vision is about people. It is not about... Animals. He once again reiterates what it's about. And we yeah. still like to think it's about animals. We're uh, so silly, we're so we? determined to eat dead pigs. So Why determined. are we so determined to eat dead pigs? I think because isn't it like... Uh, I shouldn't say we, because not me. Yeah, not me either. But no. I guess... I'm get that in my mouth. That's, that's the power of... Um, of the lack of self-control and the lack of temperance and um, appetite. Appetite is huge. Self-control is a great thing to cultivate mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, lack of self-control can lead to all kinds of addictions that are bad for us. Mm, absolutely. And and isn't meat in some quantities uh, like addictive, like in some ways? Yeah. 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 It's not a terribly difficult one to... Um, Break, yeah. yeah. No, it's the easiest one in the world, actually. I, when I became a vegetarian... Um, <clears throat> and I went from being a red meat eater to a vegan overnight. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. You never missed it? I um, ate a piece of chicken for dinner and woke up the next morning as a vegan. <laughs> and within six weeks, I struggled to walk down the meat aisle in the supermarket. It was just so feral and disgusting. It stinks and it makes you feel sick. I right? just wanted to throw up. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. There were some other things that I gave up you know, when I became a vegan that you know, took longer than that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, meat was, was, it was gone in no time. It was just like I never want to go back there ever, ever, ever again. It's just totally feral. Well, uh, yeah, I do you know. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Caught you out there, Mon. I did. <laughs> I, did. I was, you weren't looking at the I screen. I was texting the winner of the prize. He's <laughs> <at> multitasking. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, failed sprung. me this time. Yeah, anyway. So maybe two things at once rather than three. Yeah, I just. Yeah. <laughs> that would be pretty good, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> anyway, so Peter. Yes. All right, keep reading for us. Where are we up to? Uh, he just said that says, sees clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. That is a message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. And do you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power? Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Okay, so I like how he says, you know this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody knows what happened. Yep, yeah. Keep going. And we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. 
And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. Mm, let's stop there for a moment. Mm. He didn't appear to the general public. Why didn't he appear to the general public? He was showing favoritism. Oh, no, hang on. He couldn't be showing favoritism. He just said he didn't show favoritism. I don't know. Why didn't he appear to the general public? It's a really good question because it sounds a little bit like, you know, that whole Mormon conspiracy. Like, yes, we received the Book of Mormon and there are three witnesses or 12 witnesses or whatever that saw it. And uh, nobody else saw it, and it was written down about 15 years after it was seen, and all this kind of stuff. And you know, it sounds like you know your typical conspiracy right here. Yeah, but it we does. need to remind everybody that Jesus appeared to more than 500 people. So, I mean, was that just by accident, or was that a plan? It's only going to be these 500. No, this was a plan. Okay, Jesus specifically. Uh, chose who it was that he was going to reveal himself to, and then what you've got to look at is the effect that 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 had on the world. Mm-hmm. You know, it, was, it had it had a massive effect on the world. So you know, five hundred people might not be the general public, but that is a lot of people. That is a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. That's a lot of people right there. You wouldn't want that many people at your party. <coughs> no, particularly not at your house. Yeah, because you couldn't fit, and I don't have enough food. <laughs> <laughs> there was mountains there last I night. I know, I know. I was, was so enough paranoid. to feed the five hundred. Yeah, we've got lots five thousand. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, let's keep reading. Okay. Uh, here we go. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came to Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard him speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. Why was it you think that they were amazed when the Holy Spirit fell on these people? Well, because they were Gentiles and they, and they weren't used to it. I mean, they, were, they have just learned that God doesn't show favoritism, but they don't used to it yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's hard to get your mind around, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. That the Jews were so exclusive mm-hmm. and they'd had this mindset that they were the only ones mm-hmm. who were ever going to be saved, that when some other people got saved here and uh, you know gave their lives to God and received the Holy Spirit, it was just absolutely gobsmackingly shocking like the greatest revelation even imaginable even after Peter has received his vision even after Jesus has commanded them to take the gospel to the uttermost part of the earth uh, you know the end of the world even after all of this you know even after Paul has been called to be you know and Ananias's testimony was right there um, to be a an apostle to the Gentiles, the message has been coming over and over and over and over again. The gospel is going to the Gentiles. And yet when the gospel goes to the Gentiles and Gentiles give their hearts to God and Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit, they're completely, it just melts their brains. It's, yeah, like, which is so funny to think they weren't expecting it. Yeah. They've had so much like heads up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, once again, the test, testimony of like the stupidity of humanity. <laughs> Absolutely. So let me show you where, um, um, let, let's go back to the book of Exodus chapter 19. And we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at the concept of how this transference was made and what was involved in the transfer. So we're going to look at, at a um, <coughs> covenant right here. 
covenant that God makes in Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. If you could read that one for us, please, Mon. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth, for all the earth belongs to me. And verse 6. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is a message that you must give to the people of Israel. Okay, I want you to focus in on two points, right, three points right here. Mm -hmm. In this passage, number one, they're going to be his own peculiar special treasure, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number two, they're going to be a kingdom of priests. Mm -hmm. And number three, they're going to be a holy nation. So peculiar treasure or special treasure, kingdom of priests, holy nation. Mm -hmm. We got that? Yeah. So the the, the Jewish people, the, the Israelite people are set aside by God to be a holy nation, kingdom of priests, his special treasure. And so this is where they're they're looking back to. They're constantly looking back to this promise of God. And it's like, well, nobody else has this. We are the only ones who have this right here. And they're even told to tell each other, like, this is the message that you must give to the people of Israel. So it's like, don't let people forget about this. Don't ever forget. You are the chosen people. Mm -hmm. Nobody else is the chosen people. You are the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's what God has told them. And they, you know, there's a bunch of passages in the Old Testament that we could look at where the Bible says the gospel is going to the Gentiles, etc., etc. But we're going to skip over to the New Testament because Jesus tries to make this super, super plain. And we're going to go to Matthew, somewhere in Matthew, late Matthew in the 20s here somewhere. Um, we're not there. Right here, 21. And start reading in verse 33. 21 and verse 33 says, Now listen to another story. A certain landowner planted a vineyard, built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed his servants, beat one, killed one and stoned another. So the landowner sent a larger group of his servants to collect for him, but the results were the same. Finally, the owner sent his son, thinking, surely they will respect my son. But when the tenant farmers saw his son coming, they said to one another, here comes the heir to this estate. Come on, let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, dragged him out of the vineyard and murdered him. Wow. Whoa. Jesus then asks a question. But before we go to that question, we need to ask ourselves this question. What is Jesus talking about? What is the vineyard? Yeah. It's a good question. Yeah. I I was asking you. Well, I know what the answer is. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we've got a vineyard here, which is a symbol of uh, the vine throughout the Bible is a symbol of the Jewish people, the Jewish nation. That's true. And so you've got a vineyard, you've got the Jewish nation. It's been put in a fertile place. It's had a fence built around it, the Bible says. Um, It's had a wine press that has been dug in it, has a tower in it, and it has been rented out to tenant farmers while the owner has gone away. Yeah. Now, did you know that if you go to Nazareth today, uh, some years ago, they decided to build in Nazareth. This is, of course, where Jesus grew up. They decided to build there a replica first century village. So people, you know, pilgrims and, and tourists and so forth coming to Nazareth could see what it was actually like to live in Nazareth during the time of Jesus. That is so cool. Have you seen oh, it's this? It's the best. It's the best. Let me tell you about it. If you ever go to Nazareth, you have to go there. 
It, of course, is run by Palestinians, and these are Christians, um, which gives a, um, a really nice flavor to it. But they built it as close as they could to the original town centre of Nazareth. Now, the original town centre, of course, has um, you know churches and monasteries and all that kind of stuff built on top of it because that was what the uh, Catholic Church used to do back in the day if there was an important site. Mm-hmm. So they built it as close to that as they possibly could, and they had to clear some land to do so. So it's yep. about you know, a couple of hundred metres away, I guess, something like that. I can't remember exactly how far from the original town centre of Nazareth. Mm-hmm. And as they were excavating to build this first century village, you would be amazed what they found. You'd be shocked what they found, but you're going to have to wait for this song oh. before I tell you what wow. they actually found. This is Sam Ock, The Love of God. Could we with think 
the ocean fell And where the skies of parchment made Where every stalk on earth a quill And every man a scribe by trade To write the love of God above Would drain the ocean dry Nor could the scroll contain the whole Though stretched from sky to sky O love of God, how rich and pure How measureless and strong it shall forevermore endure The saints and angels song You are listening to Sam Ock with The Love of God And we were reading here a moment ago Two passages, the first was from Exodus chapter 19 God's covenant with Israel and the three key parts of that covenant was were that he was to be their own his own special possession or treasure a kingdom of priests and a holy nation yeah. and so this is this is what really made them the kingdom of god you know god's chosen people and this is what defined them as the kingdom of god you're just about to tell us what they dug up out of these ruins by the way oh, oh yes 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 how but, dare okay. you <laughs> i'm just just summarizing a little uh-huh, bit here okay uh-huh. C- catching everybody up all right so that's the first thing we, we looked at and then we noticed that we, we we've gone to this parable where jesus talks about a uh, a vineyard this parable of a vineyard and the vineyard the vine is a symbol of israel mm-hmm. <coughs> and uh um anyway so they built this first century village in nazareth Right beside where Jesus grew up. Yeah, maybe a couple of hundred meters, something like that. I can't remember how far from the original town center. They made it as close as they possibly could. And, of course, they had to do a little bit of excavating to be able to build these, you know, original um, first century style houses. And you've got a uh, you've got a wine press there. You've got a, a um, sorry, an, an olive press there. Um, you've got a synagogue there. You've got some houses. You've got a kitchen. You've got a workshop. You've got a carpenter shop. All this kind of thing, so that you can actually wander around. And there's, you know, these Christian Palestinians who take you around and they show you everything, explain how it worked. And you know, this is you can you get a feel for the environment in which Jesus grew up. Mm. So they had to excavate to do that, and they found in the process of excavating what they were actually excavating was an, an ancient first century vineyard. Oh, so it actually cool. dated to the time of Jesus. This vineyard. Wow. And guess what they found in the vineyard? A mammoth? They found a tower. Oh, a tower. They found a fence around it. Oh, wow. Yep, yep. Um, so it says here they uh, uh, <coughs> planned a vineyard, built a fence around it, um, and then just a few years ago they found a wine press in it. That's incredible. It's all there. The whole parable is all there. The, Jesus is telling a parable here of a property that you know he probably walked through hundreds of times as a kid. Yeah, it's stuff that he knows. Yeah, yeah. It is. It is all right there, and uh, they've they've been able to reconstruct some of it, and some of it, you know, they'll um, take you on the tour, and it's like, yeah, and and uh, and guess what else we found just a couple of years ago, and it's like, oh, there's a wine press right there. Mm-hmm. And they just dug it up, and um, 
Yeah, they've got some uh, some nice animals there. There was a baby donkey who um, made a uh, quite an attachment to me. Oh, how sweet. You didn't bring followed him home? Me, followed me all over the place. I got some great photos, some selfies. We got some You should have brought him home, Lyle. He's just the sweetest little thing ever. <laughs> Use him for um, fluff of the day. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll find a photo for oh, you. Oh, that'd be wonderful. On, now, on our um, social media. Yes, please. Of this um, super cute donkey. <coughs> anyway, so in this particular parable, he lets it out to tenant farmers, goes into a far country, uh, expecting to receive the fruit of it, and then he sends his servants to receive the fruit and the tenant farmers beat them up and he does that a couple of times and so eventually he sends his son and his son so they see his son and they're like, okay, let's kill the son and let's seize on his inheritance. Mm-hmm. Jesus then asks a question in verse 40. When the owner of the vineyard returns, Jesus asked, what do you think he will do to those farmers? Okay, so here you've got Jesus. He... he he asked this question because uh, he's talking to Pharisees here. He's talking to the religious leaders of Israel. And this parable is about Israel. Mm-hmm. The vine is a symbol of Israel. The vine is a symbol of the Jewish nation. Mm-hmm. And what has happened is that God has come to the Jewish nation over and over and over again looking for fruits of righteousness and not found any. Mm-hmm. He sent his servants over and over and over again. The Bible says that the servants are the prophets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find that in, in Revelation 22, verse uh, so 8 and 9 as an example. The servants are the prophets. Uh, Revelation 19, 10, other places, the servants are the prophets. And so he sends his servants, the prophets, to them, and they beat them up. And you look at the history of the prophets, the major prophets and the minor prophets, and so many of them, uh, suffered martyrdom, they suffered you know, imprisonment, they suffered in torture, all kinds of terrible, terrible things. And so in his parable, you know, the, 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 the father, the, the husbandman or the farmer who is the father, God the father, says, okay, I'll send my son. So he sends them his son and they kill the son and throw him out. So throw him out of the vineyard and kill him. And this is exactly what the religious leaders are plotting to do to Jesus. But they haven't realized this yet. So what answer do you think they're going to give to this parable? I think they're going to say that they should, 41. they should put him to death. Well, let's have a look. The religious leaders replied, he will put the wicked men to a horrible death and lease the vineyard to others who will give him his share of the crop after each harvest. That's exactly what I would have said. Yeah. It's the yeah. only logical answer you can give. But in doing so, they have just pronounced the end of the kingdom of God on themselves. Yeah, they really have. Because they've said, look, here's what he's going to do. He's going to get rid of those original farmers who have killed his son. And he's going to give the property to someone else. Yeah. Someone who Jesus goes him on. return. Jesus goes on. He says in verse 43, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a new nation that will bring forth fruits of righteousness. So the Bible is very, very clear that the kingdom of God is going to be taken from the nation of Israel, the Jews, and given to a new nation. Mm -hmm. And so we need to find out where is that new nation. So if we go over to uh, the book of Peter... I just want to point out, it's absolutely crazy. Like When Jesus says that and the leading priests realize and the Pharisees realize he's telling the story about them, that they are the wicked farmers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they wanted to arrest him and kill him. 
Mm-hmm. Like I said, wouldn't that just be fulfilling the story he just then told? Wouldn't you think, oh, oh yeah, 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 um, you know, talking about you as living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. This all comes from that parable. We skipped over those verses, but he's quoting from the parable of Matthew 21. And notice what he says in verse 9 and 10. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Whoa, 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 wait mm-hmm. there. The original covenant given to Israel was what three things? His own special treasure, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. Okay, keep reading. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Out of light. darkness. So if they've come out of darkness, who are they? They are Gentiles. Yeah, these are Gentiles now. Keep going. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Okay, so once you weren't, you had no identity as a people, you, you didn't exist as a nation. Mm. Peter is writing to the Gentiles and saying, okay, here's the new nation that has now received the covenant promises of God. In other words, the, the covenant promises that once belonged to ancient Israel have now been transferred to the Christian church. This is what has taken place. The stoning of Stephen has marked that tipping point where the Jewish people are no longer God's church. Now the Christian church is God's church. Previous to that point to find salvation, you went to the Jews. Now you go to the Christians. And those covenant promises, and you can read so many of them right throughout the Old Testament, have now been transferred to the Christian church. And so you've got these these sort of these two competing um Doctrines within Christianity. You've got restoration theology versus you know transfer theology. And restoration theology is like no, God you know does not judge by morality. God judges by DNA. Mm-hmm. If you've got the right DNA, you're going to receive the blessings of God regardless. Whereas transfer says no, God judges people by their morality, mm-hmm. and because of their morality, um, God has chosen the Christian church. That's where we need to find. Jesus Christ. We're going to need to finish up. This is Keith and Kristen Getty with Alison Krauss. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my soul. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm What heights of love, what depths of peace When fears are still and striving cease My comforter, my all and all Here in the love of Christ I stand Stop.
everybody we have come to our question of the day point and mon is telling me she needs to say something about the quiz which has been snapped up yeah, long the, ago the quiz has been snapped up and congratulations to uh michael richards from <coughs> hoya in queensland and uh, of course i should say this about michael is that uh, great young guy loves to do literature evangelism oh you know him i know yep Oh, okay. That's cool. I didn't know him. But yeah, he answered correctly uh, with the correct answer of Jacob, of course. And um, yeah, he used a rock for a pillow. Dinah was his daughter. He blessed Well, yeah, it's kind of like when, you, when your Instagram handle is something along the lines of, um, you know, coal for Christ or something or other. Yeah. It kind of gives it away, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, yes. He is a coal porter, uh, which you can tell which by means a literature evangelist. Yeah, someone who sells um, yeah, good, good books to people who need to read them, and um, which is all of us. And, uh, of course, we'll be back tomorrow morning with a new quiz, so stay tuned for that. And, of course, just want to re-congratulate Mary Hornby, who won the scarf. Yeah, still trying to get hold of Mary Hornby to Mary. Uh, find out what name we're going to put on the scarf yes. because um, we did hear a rumour that it was going to be a gift for someone. We want to get the right name on there, so do yes. give us a call and Mary. give us those details. Or just we answer your phone, Mary. <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. Because <laughs> if you don't claim this prize, we'll just give it to someone else. Yep, and you don't want that to happen. Okay, live. Yes. It is time for our question of the day. Oh, cool. Yeah. And what is our question of the day? Today's today? question is an interesting one. What is the difference 
between the major prophets and the minor prophets. Uh, like, why does it sound like some of them have more favor in God's eyes? Some of them are more important. I mean, it doesn't sound very PC in today's yeah, yeah. Well, what, language. What, what do you reckon the difference is, Mon, between major okay. and minor? Okay. Have, a, have a crack at it. Have okay. a crack. Well, usually it means like one's smaller, one's bigger. So did, does maybe the major prophets did like a better job of it and the minor okay. prophets okay. sort of stuffed it up a lot and that's why they're not as important. Yeah, no, 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 no. But it has nothing to do with their length. Okay. Oh, 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 is it maybe? Let me show you why. Let me show you why. Let me show you why. If you turn in your Bibles to, there are five major prophets, right? Oh, there's only five of them. No, five books, which are written by the major prophets. Okay. (gasps) Are they longer books than the minor prophets' books? Have you ever read the book of Lamentations? Not the whole thing, I don't think. It's only four chapters. How can you not read the book of Lamentations? Well, I mean, Lamentations, come on now, dude. (laughs) I'm much too happy about that. Okay, but it's one of the major prophets. Oh, it is. Yes, Lamentations is one of the major. So you've got Isaiah, you've got Jeremiah, you've got Ezekiel, you've got Lamentations, and you've got Daniel. Okay. That's 167 chapters in total right there. Oh, okay. Then you have 12 minor prophets, which I tried to list from memory. I'd always forget one, so I won't. Um, You have 12 minor prophets, which make up a total of 67 chapters in total. Oh, okay. So there is definitely a... Uh, a sense in which you are correct in that your major prophets are writing major works. Even though Daniel is only 12 chapters long um, and there are other minor prophets that are shorter than that, so they write, generally speaking, they write longer mm-hmm. prophecies mm-hmm. and they have a longer lifespan of ministry. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Daniel all lived to a long age and had a ministry that extended from their teen years until their death. Wow, okay. And so you have other prophets. For instance, I think of uh, um, Anna and Simeon. Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> Simeon was a prophet who prophesied um, over Jesus when Jesus came to the temple for his dedication. And Simeon, you know, everything that Simeon ever did as a prophet, we only have four verses of scripture from Simeon. Then you have Anna the prophetess, and likewise, we've got like one or two verses from Anna the prophetess, but incredibly significant verses. And so you have some prophets where we have their whole lifespan, and you have some prophets that we have a snippet or a portion that God has preserved. And then guess what, Mon? We have some prophets that we have nothing. Oh, really? Nothing at all. Okay, so this whole major minor thing is something that we've created, So you've got major minor and nothing. Major minor nothing. <laughs> but that's just something we've created. This <laughs> it's is something we've like, created, absolutely. Not that God thinks that they're, like, they're minor or less important. Something like that's a label we've given them, yeah. right? Yeah. And so um, I, maybe I shouldn't say nothing. There are small portions. But if I go to uh, uh, this, this, this snippets, if I go to the book of Chronicles, let me go to Chronicles here. Um, one of these chronic chapters in Chronicles. Uh, I think it's the end of the first one. Let me just find it. Okay, here we go. Here we go. All right. Now. <clears throat> the Acts of David the King, first and last. Behold, they are written in the book of Samuel the prophet. Do we have his books in our Bible? Samuel, yes, first yes, and second. First and second Samuel. Uh, and in the book of Nathan the prophet. And in the book of Gad the prophet. So, Mon, here's what I'd like you to do. Turn your Bible, please, to the book of Gad. Uh, Lyle, uh, I, uh, I don't think I can. <laughs> <laughs> then turn to the book of Nathan. Lyle, there's no book of Nathan or Gad. Okay. So, well, there used to be. There used to be. So these are prophets who have the gift of prophecy. Uh, they are what we call non 
canonical prophets. I'm going to come back and explain that. Ooh, I'm just about out of time. That means that uh, they're not in the canon of Scripture. Not, they've got nothing to do with big guns. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're non-canonical prophets. But the question, the real question is this. Is there levels of inspiration? And the answer is no. Either a person is inspired by the Holy Spirit or they are not inspired by the Holy Spirit. And you have some prophets that write for all time. Their prophecies are in the Bible. You have some prophets that write only for their time, for a local time, rather than for all time, and uh, they're not preserved because we don't really need them. We need to move on. This is Selah with Be Thou My Vision. You're listening to Faith FM. Was Selah with Be Thou My Vision. Do you know what Selah means? Isn't it Selah? 
Sailor? Oh, whatever. I don't know. Uh, I've forgotten. I did used to know. It means stop and think about it. That's right. Stop and think about it. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I like that. Good. I like It's a great name for a group. You know, stop and yeah. think about what we're actually saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because so often we just listen to the music and we think, oh, they're such an amazing group and we just applaud them deeper. rather than actually stopping and thinking about the yep. message that they're bringing to us and what they're actually saying. Which is why the word Sela is all throughout the book of uh, Psalms. They have like yeah, a, that's right. They have like yeah. a beautiful... And, and it breaks it all up. It's like give you a few verses and it'll go, okay, stop and think about that. And it'll give you a few more verses. Okay, now stop and think about that. Because the words are very beautiful in the book of Psalms. We don't just want to get stuck on the beauty. You want to realize the meaning behind them. Yeah, 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 for sure. Speaking of beautiful things, we have a beautiful book to give away today, Lyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the end of the show. A beautiful book about a terrible thing. Is that <laughs> very true? Uh, we've, you know, today we had... Uh, uh, Pastor Swojict on on air with us mm-hmm. doing uh, an interview about um, you know suicide and grief and mm-hmm. and and how serious and tra- tragic that is and we understand that a lot of our listeners are dealing with tragedy at the moment especially being winter months um, so we're giving away a book called Surviving Grief by Sandy Zalg. Um, it's a personal story of hers, and uh, you know she knows about hardship and trials. She lost her own uh, husband and her and her children, and so she has gone through the struggle of you know devastating grief, and um, and she shares her story and 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 her recovery. Mm. And so this is a beautiful book that we are giving away, and uh, and hopefully to someone who could really use it. So give us a call now. Just be the first person to call through one eight hundred Faith FM. That's one eight hundred three two four eight four three, and we will happy to send you uh, surviving grief a. Person Personal Journey, a book by Sandy Zalg. Hmm, absolutely. It's a very important uh, subject right there. And of course, don't forget, if you would like to know more about the Bible, give us a call. We love to connect people with the Bible and we can set you up with a correspondence course. We can set you up with an online course. We can set you up with a small group or a one-on-one tutor to understand the Bible better. Just give us a call. Thou art, how great Thou art, 
Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. And when I think that God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in That on a cross My burdens gladly bearing He bled and died To take away my sin Then sings my soul My Savior God to Thee How great Thou art Thou art